Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Should We? A podcast with potential. Today, we have three questions, three very important questions. Um, Also, equipment update, we're back on the phone in the mug. (laughs) (laughs) We got some more great listener feedback. Um, It sounds like so far the preference is actually for the sound quality of uh, when we were in different countries, <laughs> um, which, I mean, on the one hand, I would love to recreate that because it's fun to travel. On the other hand, really like talking to you in the same room. That's really my favorite. So uh, we're going to get as close as possible by removing the microphone from the equation. That just wasn't working. Exactly. And we'll just see. Let's just see. Yeah. Well, an experiment. So, Lisa, should we keep up with the news? Hmm, Diana, (laughs) this is such a great question. Um, I have a lot of feelings about this. I think probably I'll just start with what I actually do now and then kind of work backwards to how I, from how I got there. Um, So, I currently subscribe to the Sunday New York Times in print. It comes to my house as a physical paper and I absolutely love that. And I started just the first week of January was when our subscription started. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Um, I really wanted to try it because I had tried lots of other ways of keeping up with the news and really didn't like any of them. And I had gotten to a point where I didn't want to keep up with the news at all. Uh, And I thought maybe this is just impossible for me to do in a way that I enjoy and in a way that doesn't feel like obligation. Because like, should we do things out of obligation? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) So we started getting the paper and I would say since January, I've read like less and less of the paper, Uh, but I absolutely love getting the magazine, the New York Times Magazine and the Style Magazine. Those I read cover to cover, and I love them so much, and it's worth the whole subscription. And then otherwise, I love that feeling of just kind of... uh, flipping through, searching through the pages, having the tactile sensory experience of print and getting like a peripheral awareness of what's going on. What percentage of what you read would you say is news versus (laughs) like a blog in print beautifully written? (laughs) Uh, You know, not very much of it is news. Actually... Uh, the things I love to read are things that are a lot more timeless. They're not about something that just happened. They're like really long-term investigative reporting or uh, personal essays. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a complicated answer to the question. Well, you decided to start subscribing to the New York Times on Sundays. How did you get there? How did I get there? Hmm. 
You know, I think what would happen is that I would hear about something that I wished I had known about, and I would search for the topic in the New York Times, and at the top of the Google search results, I would see some deal to, to subscribe in print. And I just saw it so many times and thought, I would rather be reading this article in print, and I would rather it came to me exactly on the cadence of once a week. So the advertising worked on you, is what you're saying. Yes. Oh, Diana, I'm so susceptible to advertising. Yeah, me too. Have you ever clicked on an ad? Yeah, I have. Definitely. I clicked on one just the other day. Would you like to tell us? Sure, yeah. Very comfortable with it. It was an Instagram ad, and it was for... Skyfit. It was for this app that I can't vouch for yet. I haven't tried it. So, you know, block that from your memories. But it was a very compelling ad. It was for exactly the kind of fitness app that I like to think that I'll use. And so it was very easy for me to uh, follow through on the, the action to download it. Also, I got an ad on Instagram today for the New York Times crossword app. So that was very well targeted. Right. It, it knew you. It knew me too well, almost. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I ended up with the newspaper coming to my door. I, I literally clicked on the ad <laughs> the top of the search results. Um, well, what have been your other strategies over time in relation to mm-hmm. the news? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, sometimes if something important was happening, I would, I would search for videos. I mean, it's been a long time since I've had a TV, but I would try to watch something uh online and i really didn't like that like it just was too overwhelming so i switched to just reading things whenever there was something i was curious about i would come back to to usually the new york times um yeah but i like it in print what what about you diana what have been your strategies well I'm very fond of recounting how I grew up reading the Wall Street Journal, not for its political leanings, I will say, but because it happened to be on the breakfast table because my dad subscribed to it. And uh, I started reading it very young. And so I'm really proud of that. You know, I also think it's very funny to imagine Mm -hmm. a 10 year old reading the Wall Street Journal as I did. So that's why I and forthcoming with that piece of information. It, but, it went yeah. right along with your real simple subscription. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If anything, more of a stalwart companion in my life. So the Wall Street Journal is a very funny newspaper because the front page typically has, you know, an item or two of world news and then some sort of businessy thing. And then they have what they call the A-head, which is just a quirky article that shows up on the front page and the a head was my favorite and i would say the business articles became surprisingly um surprisingly wonderful for me i would also then often read the marketplace section which would have the latest business dealings of fortune 500 companies etc and so i read that a lot every day and i'll sometimes credit my marketplace obsession with leading up to my eventual Uh, time in business school. But the truth is, that was not so related to world news and or national news and or politics. It was really 
business news and it was about business dynamics and often just about the dynamics of tech companies, um, which is still something that I'm very interested in. But when I think about the word news, that to me means national news, political news, world news, and that I have very little stomach for. Right. Me either. So is is the answer to our question basically um no if you don't if you don't want to slash uh you should keep up with whatever stream of interesting things you want to right well i mean in general do what you want to do is yeah a mantra do whatever so, you want. so that resonates a lot but i also you know am attracted to the stream of uh, you know, do whatever it takes to become the person you want to be. And I do occasionally wonder if I want to be better informed about mm-hmm. national news, politics, world news. Um, and I've tried at various points. Um, but uh, the question for me is always, what do I expect to get out of this? Um, if the goal is empathy with people in other situations, that is a worthy goal. But um, and I, I want that. I genuinely want that. But I don't think I'm going to get it from hard-boiled news. I'll probably get it more readily from a magazine-style profile, right? So, mm-hmm. Or like a, a feature article, basically. Um, similarly, with, uh, with politics, what I've settled on is that I can watch humor programs uh, such as Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, which I like a lot. And that I can handle because politics is extremely stressful for me to think about. And I genuinely don't know what I expect to get out of me personally becoming, you know, super well-informed about it. Because for me, it's just uh, very stressful. And I do want to make a well-informed civic decision, but I am not going to tip into a different decision based on two times more news consumption. I would have to really change my consumption habits radically in order to become incrementally more informed in a way that would change my political perspective. And Mm -hmm. so that's not, if I'm just going to go halfway, like why do it at all, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But full frontal I like because uh, then I get to at least um, catch up on what's going on with a smidgen of laughter. So that's nice. And then other than that, I really can't watch anything related to politics on video or in audio because it goes slowly and I need to be able to modulate the speed depending mm. on my stress level over the topic, right? Yeah. So reading works for me. And I will read about politics. I like Vox. I like 538. I'll click on those links when they show up on Twitter, but I don't make it a morning destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder what I'm trying to get out of subscribing to the newspaper and I think it's actually just I'm trying to get a pleasant experience and I'm trying to I want to have something to do on the weekend that matches like I'm a homebody I want to be able to stay home on Sunday morning and look forward to this delivery and then still have something to talk about later from it because I mean it's it's hard to make small talk when when you don't keep up with the news and the weather's perfect all the time (laughs) that's really true I hadn't thought about that angle 
in San Francisco, it's more important to at least have something to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, the exact debate we're having and the dilemma we're facing is why newspapers are structured the way they are with a lot of lifestyle material and comics and sports in the mm-hmm. middle and then this veneer of hard-boiled news on the outside. <laughs> and it's because, you know, given the choice, people will go straight for the innards, um, right. as I do. I definitely do. But uh, I did enjoy at least being uh, faced with the headlines on my way to the innards, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. an experience that I've had in print. I've had it when I'm at home and my parents have like a newspaper iPad set up where it's basically just like a Wall Street Journal iPad edition uh, (laughs) station. And that I really like because you can view the equivalent of a quote unquote front page with a bunch of articles arrayed alongside each other. And even Mm -hmm. if I don't tap the one that's more hard-boiled, I'll at least see what's going on. Right. Um, And it's less alarmist than the shreds I get from reading Twitter. But, I mean, another difference between us, I think, is that I read a lot of Twitter. Like, I follow hundreds of people, and I read almost every tweet every day. Used to be literally every tweet every day. Now I've modified it to almost every tweet every day. And so I hear about a lot of what's going on. It just happens to be skewed to the topics that I care about or that I'm really trying to bolster because I feel like unlike national politics, no one else is going to pay attention to it for me. Like I have to be better informed because most people aren't. Mm-hmm. Okay, Diana, can I tack on another question yes. here? So I wonder if you have a strategy for Twitter and for who you follow i ask because i i used to read twitter a little more and now i'm mostly inactive on twitter and it's because the tone of what i find there is uh you know current events filtered by like snarkiness and irony you know and and i don't really like it but i think it's because I haven't really spent much, I I don't really have a strategy for Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I do have a strategy for Twitter, and I've had to develop one, otherwise I would have stopped reading it a long time ago for exactly the reasons you describe. Um, If it's not a reliable source of something, then it would become less of a routine in my life. My strategy for Twitter uh, is an evolution of what used to be my Google Reader strategy back in the days Mm. of RSS feeds, when RSS feeds were... Uh, ascendant, um, which was that I would subscribe to a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different blogs all in a given category. Let's say, you know, UX or uh, or programming or um, cross stitching or whatever was my latest interest, and I would subscribe to a bunch of blogs on that topic and just immerse myself in it and make a point of reading them uh, religiously every day so that the air I breathed came to take on the scent of whatever topic I had consciously and deliberately decided I wanted more of in my life. And then I obviously couldn't just build, 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 build. When I had a new interest, I would clear out most of my feeds and replace the vast majority of them with a new set of feeds. Mm -hmm. So with Twitter, I have a core set of people who I've followed for a long time and who... I care about whether they're acquaintances or strangers or close friends, and I want to know what's up with them. 
Um, and then I also will periodically decide I should know more about a topic um, and go through and follow a lot of people who represent that topic, basically not by going and finding the Twitter list of these people, but by deciding in my mind, this is something that I'm switching on my antenna for. for. And then when I see someone who I already follow saying, here are some people who I admire on this topic, I'll jump on it. And then mm-hmm. um, I'll occasionally do things more methodically, like go through a niche publications author list and um, try to find each of those authors on Twitter and follow really liberally, not with the idea that these will become two-way relationships, but with the idea that I'm inviting people uh, who are knowledgeable about a specific topic into my feeds. And then because it's not this, uh, it's not Facebook for me, you know, on Twitter, there's an asymmetrical following model where you can follow people uh, without uh, without them following you back. But even beyond that, I found that once Twitter really released its mute functionality, my feeling of obligation to not hurting people's feelings by unfollowing them, which uh, affected the quality of my feed because I was much more resistant to even the idea that I would be hurting someone's feelings by unfollowing them. Even if we'd never spoken, even if they had thousands of followers, I still felt some resistance to it. But Mm. really cleanly separating um, the idea of my feed from the social signal um, was very helpful for me. So now what I do is I'll follow people in batches, let them into my life, um, and then uh, just mute ones as I figure out like this is not uh this is the trade-off or the balance of uh positivity in terms of what I'm learning from this and negativity in terms of what it does to my mood or whatever um is fair is worth it um Mm -hmm. and just try to be self-aware about that and uh and mute pretty liberally I see okay well now I know this is very helpful I might give it another try who knows? You know, it's a big source of something in my life, but it's hard to say what that something is. You know, I spend a lot of time on it still, and I'm pretty conscious about where I put my time. So mm-hmm. it's definitely not uh, just an addictive loop, but uh, I do wish I understood better the bundle of value that I'm getting out of the time that I spend infinitely scrolling. Well, I feel like I have met so many people who also happen to know you and sometimes Twitter is is the thing that brought some of those relationships together. That's right there's a whole other there's a whole other uh, line of conversation about how I use Twitter as an introvert to build relationships but that's a bit orthogonal too. (laughs) Twitter is a news source so maybe we'll save that for another day. Great. Um, Lisa. Yes. I have another question for you. What should we do when we find the perfect thing? Oh, well, Diana, as it turns out, I I actually have a story related to this from today. And uh, basically what happened is that a few weeks back, I was looking for the perfect button-down shirt. Uh, kind of a flowy one, not a stiff one, as I think we've discussed before. You don't want it to make crunchy sounds when you're moving. Not crisp. Right, right. It should not be crisp. It should be pretty feminine uh, because clothing that's like too masculine just does not work for me, Uh, but it should be good for work and very multi-purpose. Anyways, I found the shirt. 
at an excellent price. It fit perfectly, which is so unusual because I'm so short. Wow, all of these factors converged on the perfect shirt. Very unexpected. And so I just got one. And then as a couple weeks went by, I thought, okay, I've worn this, I've washed this. It really is the perfect shirt. And I looked it up online thinking maybe I should get it in other colors. And it turned out it was being discontinued. <laughs> yeah, right. That is the sound I made in my brain. And you couldn't even get one online anymore. It just said limited availability in stores only. So I went to the store. It also said something like, like act fast, go, go get it. We can't promise it's gonna be there for very long. Oh, I was in such a panic. So today I went, I found it within moments. I just walked into the door and gravitated toward that shirt. I so knew what I wanted. I tried it on, it was perfect. I bought it. So now I have two shirts that are perfect. Uh, but I feel sad that it's going away and there weren't any other colors I liked and you know it's just a moment in time those shirts can't last forever it's ephemeral you know everything has a season but sometimes we wish they wouldn't exactly <laughs> so should so what should we do I mean the conventional wisdom is buy multiples and you managed to enact that but uh, there was no guarantee that was going to work out, given the discontinuation schedule. Yeah, and now I'm also wondering, should I have bought the whole rack? Right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, future. you have one of each color, but those colors are going to wear out eventually. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, as you know, a very similar relationship to my uh, suite of shoes that I bought in Germany that I've now bought identicals of twice. And each time when they went out of season, I mourned and worried um, but then after they came back for one year, I sort of got cavalier, like, oh, they're definitely going to come back. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll be more expensive to ship them to the U.S., but um, they're perfect. I mean, I, there's no risk. Like, this is guaranteed goodness. And uh, so I've talked about this on past episodes, so I, I don't have to tell the whole story. But basically, um, they haven't released them for this year yet. And uh, I had subscribed to the mailing list for 10 points, the company that makes them. I had gone to the website once every few days. I have like a recurring to-do that reminds me to check once again. And at one point, I got so despondent about it that I was like, you know, I can love again. You know, it, <laughs> it, just because I happened to find shoes that I loved, it, they have their downsides. Like the heel wear is down, you know. The, the lace could have been a better color. I'm sure that I can find ones that are even better. So I got really bold about that. And I went on a big quest online. I used all kinds of search terms. And I found ones that I thought I would really like and ordered them. And they came and I put them on and they were terrible. They were so different. They would never replace the ones that I had. Oh no, so the ones you had were perfectly they were, imperfect. <laughs> they were perfectly imperfect and they were substantially different from everything else that's on the market, I'm now convinced. So this was really bad because I had just lost my out. Now I was really counting on this company to make them. So I did something that I've only done once or twice before in my life, 
which was write to the company with a love letter about the shoes um, and ask them if they were going to make them again. I included a picture of the shoes so that they would be able to identify <laughs> the model. And I didn't hear back for a few days and I was like, okay, I really have to make my peace with this. That was my last shot. And then I get an email from this wonderful woman in Sweden saying, um, they're coming back. No way. <laughs> they're coming back. I can't believe it. I'm so happy for yeah, you. They're a very popular model. We're releasing them as part two of our spring line. Who knew there was going to be a part two? <laughs> um, and she said, you know, this is the model name, New Toulouse, and, uh, you can just watch the website and they probably will sell out quickly uh, once you uh, once they arrive. But, you know, get on it and just subscribe and we're really happy you'll be able to re be reunited with them. So I was so happy, so relieved. But what's funny is that in my love letter, I was like, you know, if they're not going to make these again, this is basically my one shot. So I said something like, if you release these again, I will be the first to buy multiple. <laughs> Oh, you even made the promise, I made the promise. to you know, yourself and them. Exactly. And you know how seriously I take promises. You really do. So now That's I... why we try not to make too many on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. So uh, they're coming. So I think like the short, I mean, they're not, they're gonna, I'm gonna get be reunited with them. I'm not mm -hmm. yet, but I will be, but I'll have to spend some money to make it happen. So bottom line, what should we do when we find the perfect thing? Uh, buy as many as you can afford at the moment. <laughs> um, and ideally, sometimes you don't know if it's the perfect thing in the moment you buy it. So mm -hmm. um, if you feel that surging love for something and that surging love is um, not a common occurrence for you, take it seriously because otherwise you'll probably be faced with mega regret later. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this relates somehow to our talk about endings in the past. Like sometimes you don't know when you're gonna have like actually a painful ending with an article of clothing that you can't replace. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about clothes and shoes is that new ones are coming out all the time. And mm -hmm. you know, if you treat them like medicine, which is totally normal, um, <laughs> you know, there's like a different clothing article or shoe type for every desired mood right mm -hmm. but what's so essential about these shoes for me and it sounds like this shirt for you is that it feels like me it's not just a mode i'm in it's like me at base mm -hmm. and so if i lose the uniform of me in neutral that feels like a major loss right it's that feeling when you put something on and and someone says oh that's so you and exactly. it's the first time you've worn it. Exactly. So, uh, look alive. And <laughs> don't miss out on major opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, our final question of the day. Yes. Lisa, should we wear night guards? <laughs> I'm so ready for this question. Um, so I'm not sure when we discovered that we, we both have night guards. This is, this is like for our teeth mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. be clear, yeah. to, to prevent the consequences of grinding your teeth at night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I've had one since I came to San Francisco, a couple, a couple years and, um, I have a love hate relationship with it. 
and uh, just this week I forgot to bring it with me when I went to the dentist. You're always supposed to bring it with you and then they'll clean it for you. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they can do this special UV, I don't know, extreme cleaning and they always remind me and I always forget and they say, you can come back next week and (laughs) then I don't do it and then, you know, whatever. Anyways, was the question, should we wear them? Yeah. Yeah, right. I forgot the question. Uh, the Well, my answer is, uh, yes, yes, we should. I unfortunately. Mean, unfortunately, I don't wear mine every single night because I, I hate it. The, the dentist always says in this really optimistic way, like, oh, people just love their night guards. It just takes a little while to get used to it, and then you'll feel it'll be like a pacifier, like you can't fall asleep without it. No, no, I don't feel that way. I hate it. It's gross. I don't want to wear it. I don't enjoy this. I don't like it. Um, I was heartened to see uh, Lena Dunham wearing one in Girls (laughs) in like probably the first episode or something. Uh, That was good. You know, I felt a common bond and I was so excited to hear that you had one too. I think actually it's really common. Really common. Um, we should wear them, uh, but sometimes I get tired of wearing mine. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I've been wearing a night guard for a year or so, a little under a year, and I resisted it for many years before that. Me too. Why? Because it seemed like the worst. Um, I uh, would go to the dentist and they'd be like, do you? crying your teeth and I'd be like no definitely not and they'd be like your (laughs) teeth say otherwise (laughs) and it was really unnerving to think that I was engaging in this activity that I had no memory of and wasn't doing intentionally and also what did that say about my mental state you know so that made me very self-conscious but um I had what I thought was a good strategy which was using my uh like Invisalign style retainers from the end of my uh, orthodontic life, which never involved braces, interestingly, but basically like uh, retainers that are a lot like a night guard, but very thin. Mm -hmm. And so I would use those and I was like, this is great, so responsible, it protects the surface of my teeth, and I don't need to graduate into this new category of night guard. And so at one point I went to a dentist in Germany and I brought my retainer and I was like, this is my strategy. And she was like, that doesn't work. (laughs) Because the thing about a night guard is that it's so thick so that it keeps the bones in your jaw from grinding against each other. That's Uh the real danger, and that's where tension comes from. Oh, geez, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, she was like, because it's not thick enough, it's not actually keeping those bones apart. And so you're protecting the tooth surface, sort of, but you're not doing anything for your headaches or the bones in your jaw. Oh, Diana, this is so much more serious than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. So I got a night guard. I resent it greatly, but I wear it every day. And re- But this week, I decided to go rogue and not wear it for a day. <laughs> I just wasn't in the mood. And the next day, I had a horrible tension headache. So uh, I apparently still need it. And that's really confronting because I would like to think it's the kind of thing you grow out of. But maybe once you go night guard, you never go back. Right. I think that's kind of the way it is. And there's something about this that really bugs me that 
the dentist can look into my mouth and know something about me that I don't know. Yeah. Like, when I look at my teeth, I can't, I don't know, I don't know why they can tell that I grind my teeth, you know? And I, as you said, like, you have no control over it and no memory of it. Yeah, I don't like that. It feels like being chastised for something that I didn't even mean to do. And I don't think I did, but I'm being defensive about something that is uh, irrefutably true. Right. Which just makes me look like a fool. <laughs> I love how they asked you as a question. They didn't do that to me. They were like, you grind your teeth. I mean, I actually had a really serious problem where where I, I had cracked my tooth no. because of grinding oh, no. so that was how this all came oh, about no. it's a whole thing um yeah well i mean you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do